Today's scripture reading comes from Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So we've come to our final sermon in the series, as uh, Paul mentioned. Uh, in this last section of the letter, uh, the Apostle Paul is coming full circle on the major theme of the book. He's, after spending time reflecting on the fruit of the Spirit, now he is coming back to the central issue of religious performance versus faith in Jesus. And the question really that has been hanging over this entire letter is this, will we seek righteousness? Will we seek favor? Will we seek blessing from God through our own performance? Or will we receive righteousness? Will we receive favor from God as a gift of grace through Jesus Christ? And so as this letter has come full circle, I want us to come full circle. And so I want to ask the same question that I asked in the very first message in this series. Are you seeking God's blessing, God's approval? Are you even seeking salvation through your own performance? Maybe you're here and you really do believe, you honestly believe that the way that you earn eternal life, the way that you will go to heaven one day is that if your good outweighs your bad. And so it really is a matter of earning for you. But I wonder if more of you, it's this. You have a category of grace. Like you understand you're not perfect. You understand that you need an assist from God. And so the way you think about your life is, is a little bit more like this, that you see God as a father who wants to bestow a great gift on someone. Maybe even, you know, like dads or moms, you want to give your, your teenager a car. And so we, we're like that teenager. And so are we going to be the teenager that while we see the car as a gift and we didn't necessarily earn it, we're worthy of it? I've behaved myself, and so now I'm worthy of God's blessing. Maybe that's how you see it. And so what, for you, you want God to like you. You got to perform for the Lord so that, yeah, you know he loves you, but you want him to like you so that he will pour out favor and blessing. So you seek his approval through your performance. And can we all be honest, we're so prone to this, or are we not? We're so prone to fall into performance-driven mentality. We lose sight of the radical grace of the gospel. We, we lose sight of what 
we can take hold of by faith and we fall into this mentality that we have to earn. And here's what happens. For those of you that struggle with pride, you will go deeper into your pride. You become harsh and you become more judgmental. And what ends up happening? You step back from loving and serving people. But for those of you that struggle with guilt, here's what happens. You know you can't measure up, and so you become more and more guilty. And what happens? You end up withdrawing from people, and you don't love, and you don't serve, and you don't live on mission. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. You're not necessarily super prideful, or you wouldn't necessarily say you struggle with despair. Here's what happens. When you fall into a performance mentality, this sort of spiritual malaise falls over you, meaning you'll go through the motions. You'll do what you need to do, but a deep, abiding Love and joy in Jesus, where he has your heart, and you're living for him above all else, and you celebrate the grace of God in your life, well, that's foreign. And so when we fall into this performance mentality, it has such an effect on the way that we live our lives. And this is why, praise God for his word, praise God for the book of Galatians that rescues us from this mentality. And so for our final message... We're going to spend some time, one last time really for, from this book, diagnosing the problem. We're going to let God's word sort of expose the conditions of our heart that lead us to this performance mentality. And here's what we're going to find. This issue of performance versus faith really comes down to what you're boasting in. And when, and when scripture uses the word boast, we need to be clear about this. Paul is not talking about being cocky about something. He's not talking around, walking around, you know, pounding your chest like an LSU receiver who caught his fourth touchdown pass last night. Sorry, OU fan in the house, got to rub it in. <laughs> not, not, not this kind of arrogance where I tell you how good I am. No, boasting is this sense of what most has your heart. What do you most celebrate? What do you most get excited about? What do you most live for? When your heart pumps blood through your veins, what really gets your heart pumping? That's the idea of boasting, and that really is what it comes down to. What is our deepest regard? Will it be self, or will it be Christ? That's the question we need to be honest about this morning, and that's, that's the focus we're going to turn our attention to here in Galatians 6. So let's first reflect on what Paul has to say about regard for self or self-boasting. You see, in this final section, the Apostle Paul is like a champion boxer hitting one last time, throwing one last knockout punch to these false teachers, and he's going to expose them by exposing their motivations. He's going to point out, he say, hey, look, no matter how righteous they talk, no matter how much they sound like they care about you and your spiritual life and your walk with the Lord, underneath it all, guess what? They only care about themselves. It's self-regard. It's self-boasting. Here's what he writes in verses 12 and 13. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have your, you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. So Paul is emphasizing several markers here that demonstrate these false teachers were boasting in themselves that self was the highest regard. Here's the first thing he says. They want to make a good showing in the flesh. That, that is, they want to religiously perform 
so that others see them in a particular way. They, they want to do all the good religious things so that people look at them and say, hey, you're really righteous. You're, you're a morally upstanding person. You follow God. You're, you're, you're someone who's spiritually mature. They wanted the status. They, they wanted to be perceived as something special. And so circumcision gave them this status. Within the religious system they operated in, to be circumcised meant, I am part of the true people of God. I am the truly faithful one. I follow God's law as it ought to be followed. So they saw circumcision as a way to gain status, and that's why they wanted to force everybody else to be circumcised. Listen, those who pound the drum of religious performance the loudest are those who most want you to be impressed by them. We have to be careful about this. Those who want to pound that drum the loudest so often are the ones that want you to see them as impressive. Because here's what happens. They hold out this standard. Hey, here's this thing you need to do. And lo and behold, who happens to be the best at doing that? Them. And so this performance mentality was not about the Galatian church and the Galatian believers. It was about status for these teachers. That they wanted to be perceived in a particular way. But Paul points out that it's not just this self-centered motivation. There's also a problem with hypocrisy. As Paul points out in verse 13, these teachers, these paragons of religious performance, could not keep the law. Oh, they talked a good game, and they maybe showed out in front of everybody. But as he points out in chapter 3, no one keeps the law. If you want to live by your religious performance, here's what you're living under, a curse. Because you have broken the law. We have all broken the law. We cannot keep it. The standard is perfection. And so living by performance, to say that you can do it, is hypocritical. And what was happening is that these religious teachers were in denial about their sinfulness, in denial about their need. And this is what performance does. Performance will always lead us to a place of denial. Because here's what we need to do. In order to perform, in order to meet the standard in our minds, we actually have to pull the standard down. God has set the bar at his righteousness, perfection. We drop it. We lower it in order to say, oh, I've kept it. And so we do damage to what is good and what is true and what is beautiful. But we also become world-class deniers. We deny that we're actually sinful. We deny that we're broken. We deny that we are in absolute and utter need of grace. And so what we end up doing is we hide it. We bury it. We don't let people see it. And we become hypocrites. And so this performance mentality was not only self-centered, it was also hypocritical. Closely connected to this marker of self-regard is a second one. Boasting in self by boasting in others. In verse 13, Paul says that these false teachers not only make a good showing in the flesh for themselves, they also want to boast in the flesh of the Galatian church, meaning... They want to be able to say, look at these people and look what I got them to do. 
If you remember from our study, what was taking place is that these false teachers were Jewish in ethnicity and, and tradition. And they more than likely believed in Jesus, but they were coming in and they were saying, okay, yeah, believe in Jesus, but you also have to keep the law of Moses. And so what they wanted to do is they wanted to get these Galatian believers who were largely Gentiles, those who were uncircumcised, to be circumcised because what this allowed them to do is run back to headquarters in Jerusalem and say, look what we did. We got a bunch of Gentiles to be circumcised and become like us. And so there was this mentality that if I can gather a crowd, if I can gather a group of people that have followed what I want them to follow, I can boast in that. I can be impressive because of that. And so it's not just look at what I do, but look at what I get other people to do. And so this performance mentality carries over into the way that they would disciple and teach and even care for other people. They wanted their status bolstered by what other people did. And so we have to ask ourselves the question here, how much of this reflects our own hearts? Like it's very easy to, yeah, stick it to them, Paul. Put those religious teachers in their place and completely miss that the similar things are in our own heart. Yeah, we may not be running around telling people to get circumcised, but we do similar things. I wonder how much are you driven, how much am I driven by making a good showing of the flesh? Is my religious performance, is my moral action so that I can have standing among you? Are you doing these things so you can have standing among the church or your friends or your family or coworkers? Do you want to be seen? It is what drives you because you want the status of most mature or most wise or most theologically knowledgeable or the one who helps everybody in a pinch? Are you driven by status? Are you driven by what, how others will perceive you? Or have you created markers of righteousness whereby you judge the maturity of everybody else and lo and behold, you're the best at that? Are you trying to make a good showing in the flesh? Or how about this? And I think this is one that hits home for all of us. Are you willing to let people into your sin struggles? Uh, do you confess sin to others? Do you expose how messy you are? Do you let others speak truth to you? Do you let others correct you? Or are you hiding? Are you pretending? Are you trying to perform in such a way that people think you have it all together and you don't need any help, and then when you confess sin, it's really, really minimal? Oh, I got mad at my wife one time this week. Are you hiding? Are you performing? Are you trying to make a good showing in the flesh? Or how about the ways that we boast in others? I mean, do you only serve in ways that makes you look good? Like, here's the opportunity that's gonna give me the most status or give me the most sort of press in the church, so let me go do that. And if you're ever asked to serve in a way that no one's ever gonna really know that you did it, you're like, ah, I don't know about that. Do you only serve when you can be seen? Do you only serve people who are relatively easy to deal with? People who Will, will change fairly quickly, and so people can see, oh, wow, they really made an impact in that person's life. 
rather than jumping in where it is messy and hard and takes time because some people, their journey is long. Will you cherry pick who you actually love and care for because you don't want to mess up your status? Or how about this? Are you willing to fail? When it comes to loving other people, when it comes to serving, when it comes to discipling, when it comes to maybe even leading, are you willing to risk failure? Meaning you will step out in faith, you will step out in ways that you haven't before and you have to depend upon the Holy Spirit because it might fall apart and you might not be very good at it right now. Or you only stand in places of strength, only where you know you will be successful. That's performance. That's trying to make a good showing in the flesh because you want the status of someone who's successful, someone who never fails, someone who's competent. Oh, church, when we live this way, we are going to only go so deep. We are going to be running around performing for one another rather than serving and loving one another. We're never going to grow in our faith because we're never going to risk and we're never going to depend on Jesus. Are you making a good showing of the flesh? The third and final marker here that Paul highlights is fearing persecution. The false teachers were Jewish Christians, so yes, they believed in Christ. However, they didn't want to invoke the wrath of the rest of the Jewish community. So they championed what every other Jew championed, circumcision and following the law. You see, if I champion religious performance, if I champion the law and making a good showing of the flesh and circumcision, well, then I'll be celebrated. Then I'll be praised. I'll be encouraged. If I start proclaiming Christ alone, if I start proclaiming that our religious performance counts for less than nothing, well, then there's going to be problems. I might be even accused of hating the law and hating Moses as Paul was and as Jesus was. I might be persecuted for telling people that you are utterly and completely broken and sinful and you need grace. You can't save yourself. And this is the same is true for us. Look, if we preach moralism, if we preach self-help, if what comes out of our mouth is do better, be better, pick yourself up, hang in there, you can do it. Look, we might get a little bit of pushback because sometimes people don't like us to, to tell them what they're doing wrong but not much. Look, there's a whole litany of self-help programs out there. We're all thinking through the ways we want to be better people in 2020. People think this way all the time. And so if I come along with my get better program, if my, my, my help, self-help program, then people are going to be receptive to that. Yeah, I want to be a better person. I want to have a better marriage. I, I want to be better with my money. I want to be healthier. Like that sells quickly. But the moment we come in with a message of repent and believe the gospel, turn from sin, turn from selfishness, you can't save yourself. You can't fix yourself up. You need renewal. You need to be born again. That rubs against everything in us. That rubs against our pride and our self-reliance and our performance. If you preach that message, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated. And so church, if we pull punches, if we fall into a mentality where we will preach moralism and self-help rather than the gospel, 
that is a form of performance because you have allowed fear to bring you to this place of self-regard where you are worried about how people will think about you. You're worried about how others will treat you. Self-preservation, self-protection, performance. Don't want to lose status in the eyes of my friends, my family, my coworkers, my neighbors. I I want them to think I'm a nice person, that I'm not judgmental, that 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 I'm one of the good guys. And yet, we withhold from them the very thing that would set them free, the very thing that would transform them, the very thing that would bring them new life. And here's what also happens, church. Man, the more and more that whether being a pastor or just being a Christian, I'm learning that so much of spiritual maturity is tied to a willingness to share the gospel with other people. Because here's what happens. When we withhold the gospel, we become more performance-driven. Think about this. What are you going to celebrate? Something you talk about and cherish and champion and you're constantly loud about or something you hide away in the dark? And so if I'm not championing Christ, if I'm not talking about Jesus, if I'm not letting people know who Christ is, and I'm not saying you have to walk up to everybody on the street and go, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? But are you sharing your faith? Are you sharing that Jesus has transformed you and he's at work in your life and that he has your heart and he's the center of your identity? Do people know that you're a believer? Is that just oozing out of you? When that happens, Christ becomes bigger in our hearts. And when he's bigger in our hearts, we're less driven to perform. And so sharing the gospel, championing Jesus, frees us more and more from our performance mentality. Sets us free from fear, but also brings us to the place where Jesus looms large. And that's how we move away from performance. See, church, performance mentality is a stubborn and persistent struggle because too often we refuse to get out of the seat of self-regard. Here's what I mean. Do a little illustration for you. You and I so easily will sit in this seat of self-regard where we care deeply about what people think of us, where we want a certain status in the eyes of others. And so we lock ourselves into this seat. And even when we know that, hey, I'm probably better off if I get out of this seat, we'll do this. We'll strain. We'll we'll maybe look out over the horizon to try to see something better. People say, hey, look over here. Here's life. And you're kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 that looks great. But we won't ever get out of this seat. And then what do we do? Well, I got to live my life, and so I don't want to lose this, so we hold on to it. And we start walking around with it. Some of us are really successful. Some of us do some good things. But here's the truth. We're still stuck in self-regard. We still care deeply about what people think about us. We still have to perform to keep certain status. And so no matter how successful, no matter how much we do, we're still trapped. We still recognize, I'm not free. But we're still burdened with maintaining that status. And it's awkward. And sometimes it's painful, but we hold on to it. We won't let go, no matter how much it's like, hey, you got a chair on your rear end, man. So here's the key. We need to get out of the seat 
we need to say, no longer am I going to sit in this seat of self-regard and be chained to it. I'm going to get out of it. I'm, I'm going to move away from me being the biggest thing in my heart, my status, how people view me, my performance, my ability to do the things that I think will bring me particular regard. And that only happens when Jesus is glorious in our eyes. We only get out of this seat when our hearts are drawn to something bigger and better. When we start to boast in Jesus. And this is what the Apostle Paul is driving at in verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Here's, here's what's crazy about the Apostle Paul saying this. When it came to religious performance, when it came to moral performance, when it came to theological knowledge and religious faithfulness, nobody was better than him. We remember earlier in Galatians, in chapter 2, he mentions how he was progressing further and further within the leadership structure of Judaism faster than anybody his age. I mean, he was the rising star. And then in the letter to the church in Philippi, he writes about all of these accomplishments. And he was saying, no one was better than me. I did it better than everyone. But then he turns around and he says this, but I count it all loss, refuge, poo-poo, for knowing Christ. He looked at all that performance, that the pinnacle of achievement that he had reached, and he saw it as worthless compared to knowing Jesus. And I wonder how many of you in this room would say this too. Hey, look, nothing compares with knowing Christ. Nothing that I have achieved, nothing that I have succeeded at, no level of performance has matched the joy that I have found in Christ, the freedom that I have found in Christ, knowing that I am loved by him, knowing that I am united to him by faith, that his spirit dwells within me, that he's transforming me, and I have this intimate relationship with him. The joy that that brings is uncomparable. Living for Jesus far surpasses anything you and I could ever achieve through our performance. And so the Apostle Paul says, far be it from me to boast in anything but Christ. And so what frees us from our performance mentality? What gets us out of that seat is to stop boasting in self and start boasting in Christ. To stop having such self-regard and such a self-centered view of your identity. So stop being so focused on what you can, you can do or will do. Fix your eyes on the cross of Jesus because it is on the cross of Jesus we were humbled because when we fix our eyes on the cross of Jesus here's what we see that our sin was a big deal that, that God hates sin that God punishes sin that he put our sin on his son and so we are humbled we recognize we can't perform Jesus had to die to save us and so we're humbled but we're also encouraged we're also set free because on that cross, your sin and your selfishness and your self-regard and your self-centeredness and your performance were nailed. He nailed them to his cross and set you free from them. The glorious news of the gospel is this. Because Jesus regarded you, 
Because Jesus loves you, you have been set free from your prison of self-regard. You've been set free from performance. And so it is when we behold the cross of Christ, when we boast in Jesus, when we celebrate what Jesus has done, because Jesus is the wonderful and glorious creator of all things. Jesus is the one who entered into our mess and our sinfulness and our brokenness. Jesus is the one who touched lepers and healed them. Jesus is the one who cast out demons. Look, oh man, this morning as we were praying, this beautiful picture, someone prayed this about how Jesus was the one that went to the woman at the well and he turned her shame into a testimony of his grace. Jesus is the one who went to the tax collector, the one who was a scum of society and invited him to the table and said, you be part of my family. Jesus is the one who touches the leper, the outcast, the gross and discarded ones and heals them, loves them. Jesus is the one who hung out with drunks and prostitutes. This is who we boast in. This is who we celebrate in. When you look at what Jesus has done, the fact that Jesus went to the cross and paid for our sin, the fact that Jesus was resurrected and defeated sin and death and hell, the fact that Jesus has ascended and is reigning and is one day going to come back, what room is there for our performance? Why would we want to base this life on our performance? Why would we allow our hearts to be overtaken with self-regard when we can boast in Christ and boast in his glory and his goodness. This is why, church, let Jesus be your identity. Let Jesus be your righteousness. Let Jesus be your blessing. Let Jesus be your life. Look, some of you in here, man, you may steer clear of religion because you dislike the idea of having to try to impress God. You're like, it's tiring enough trying to impress everybody else around me. Got to perform at home, got to perform at work, got to perform in my neighborhood, got to keep up this status. And so to, to ask me to do that for God, well, that just seems a bit overwhelming. Well, here's who agrees with you. Jesus, listen to me. Jesus does not want you to impress him. He wants you to rest in him. He is not looking for you to impress him. He has done it all. He has kept the law perfectly. He has paid for your sin. He has performed so that you can rest in him. And the good news of the gospel is this. His grace is sufficient for you. His death paid for every sin you have committed. Every sin you will commit. It's sufficient to forgive you. His power is sufficient to renew and transform and change you. His spirit is at work in your brokenness even when you, don't, when you think it is impossible to change. His spirit is at work to change you. And what he started, he will finish. And the good news is that one day when he returns and he restores this physical world that was marred and corrupted by sin, we're gonna experience resurrection. We're gonna experience not only new life spiritually but new life physically This is Paul's point. This is where he comes to the end of this letter and lays it all on the line. And verse 15 has really become one of my favorite verses. 
For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Hey, here's what Paul means. If we remember that circumcision was a marker of status, we can understand what, what Paul is saying this way. You're circumcised? Cool. Uncircumcised? Fine. Does not matter. Rich? Cool. Poor? Okay. Male? Female? Super incredibly talented or barely getting by? Doesn't matter. Young? Old? Whatever the marker of identity, the markers of identity that we so often tie to our performance and tie to our status, they're irrelevant to what matters most. Performance and status count for nothing. It's new creation. It's life in Jesus. It's the power of God at work to redeem and renew sinners. It's our identity in Christ. It's fruit of the Spirit. That is what matters. So here's what this also means. It means that Christianity isn't a moral system by which you order your life to be a better person, though Christianity does have a system of morality. It isn't a system of philosophy that answers all of your deepest questions, though it can do that. It isn't even a system of psychological insights to help you understand people better, even though it offers that. No, the Christian faith at its core is about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that has completely altered this world and altered history transformed everything. We say this, the gospel transforms everything. New creation. It means that when you are in Christ, you have been given new resurrection life. And as Eric pointed out this morning, that life is going to renew you not only spiritually, but one day physically. That is what we are about, church. New life in Christ. That is what we celebrate. That is what we proclaim. That is what we live for. That's what we live from, new creation. And that's not through performance. That's not something we earn. That's not something that we earn enough favor for God and he says, okay, I suppose I'll give you that. No, it is a free gift of grace that we respond in faith. And so for you this morning, if you're longing for renewal, if you're longing for transformation, if you're longing for new life in Christ, Don't perform. Take hold of it by faith. Turn from sin, turn from self, and run to Jesus. Because his arms are open. His grace is amazing. And he will welcome you, just as he welcomes all sinners who turn from him. So church, let us put to death our performance mentality. Let us be honest about our sin. Let us be honest about the ways that we can fall into this. But then let's put this to death. Let us grow both individually and as a church celebrating Christ. Celebrating who Jesus is and what he has done. Celebrating new creation. Let let that be the thing that we go into this world and champion. Not look at me and look what I can do. But look what Jesus has done, look what he is doing, and look what he will do when he returns. Church, if new creation is real, if the resurrection is true, that does change everything, right? It does alter the way that we look at our lives and how we understand our performance. And so let's live in the good of that truth. Let's live in the freedom of that truth. And let's proclaim it to our world. Amen.